It was a uh, it was a Sunday evening. We had just uh, we had just concluded our Sunday evening evening gathering as a church, and uh, people were just uh, milling about and, and visiting with one another. And uh, I noticed that uh, one of our staff members had come in the side door, and he motioned for me. And so I went over, and it was apparent that he had been crying. I said, "Pete, what's what's going on? You okay?" And he said, "Beth is gone." Beth is gone. He said, yeah. I said, you mean like run away, like missing? He, he said, no, Pastor, Beth is gone. Now, Beth was uh, one of uh, the girls in our youth ministry. She was 16 years old, beautiful girl. He said, Beth is dead. I said, that, that's not possible. He said, I just got the phone call. She was driving home. Um, and crashed her car, and she's gone. And I, I can remember a sense of unbelief and a sense of devastation that was almost tangible. My immediate thought was, how are we going to unpack this to her parents? How am I going to sit down with a mom who's not a believer, and tell her that her 16-year-old daughter, full of life and hope and future, is gone. And as a church and as a staff, we entered upon a journey that even to this day is one of the most difficult that the Lord has asked me to, to set upon. Reality is, things happen in life, and sometimes we see them coming, and sometimes it comes completely out of the dark. And the question is, and, and, and the question that, that Jeremiah will ask us today is, how do we pray in the midst of devastation? How do you talk to God when your heart is broken? How do you talk to God when you're not sure he's even there? How, how, how do you cry out to God when you're not sure he's listening? How do you speak to God when you don't know what to say? And these questions that Jeremiah asked thousands of years ago are just as relevant as they were the night that Beth went to meet Jesus, her Savior. And they're just as relevant to you and I this morning. How do we pray in the midst of difficult circumstances? And so we're just going to spend just a few minutes together looking here at this final chapter of Lamentations. Um, and, uh, and, and I'll go ahead and give you the end. And the end is there is hope. There is hope. And we will end in hope. Um, but there's, uh, there's heartbreak and heartache on the journey. Um, let me pray for us, and then we're just going to work through Lamentations chapter 5, and we're going to look at specifically, um, in the midst of difficult circumstances, how do we pray? How do we talk to God in the midst of a difficult time? Uh, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. And yeah, God, we would be quick to confess that oftentimes in life, we have more questions than we have answers. Lord, we would be quick to acknowledge that there are seasons of life where we weep tears of joy and there are seasons of life where we weep tears of hardship. 
And we thank you, Jesus, that you love us in the midst of both, that you are equally sovereign in the midst of both. And so, Lord, we just pray in these next few moments, we just very humbly ask, Lord, that you would open our minds and give us understanding of your word. Lord, we pray that you would soften our hearts, that we would be changed by your word. And Lord, we we just want to simply ask God, please speak to us, your people today. Lord, whatever season of life we might find ourselves in, Lord, would you speak to us that we uh, might know how to engage with you, how to engage with the world around us in the midst of difficult, heartbreaking circumstances. Would you speak to us for your glory and for our good, we humbly ask in Jesus' name. Amen. that under warranty, Ben? If not, I'll fix it. Um, let's, uh, let's look together. Um, we're just going to see um, just four simple truths um, that you and I can hold on to uh, in the midst of difficult circumstances. The great thing is if you look um, at verse 1, if, if you have a Bible, he says, remember, Lord, what has happened to us. In other words, this whole chapter is a prayer. All right? So all of chapter 5 is, is a prayer. And so we're kind of, we're kind of getting to listen. It's, it's quite unique and quite lovely. We're getting to sit in and listen to Jeremiah's prayer life. This is him praying, and we get to hear what he says, and we learn four things from it. Number one, uh, we see this, that in the midst of difficult circumstances, I should pray with an attitude of honesty. In the midst of difficult circumstances, I should pray with an attitude of honesty. Uh, This is what he says in verse 1. He says, remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. I I I love the fact that Jeremiah is honest about their situation. Uh, Jeremiah just says, remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Lord, look and take notice of our circumstances. And then, of course, as as we just heard, um, read to us, uh, he's going to go throughout the prayer and he's going to remind the Lord. He's going to bring to the Lord's recollection, not that the Lord needed that, but Jeremiah needed it. He's going to remind the Lord, Lord, this is what's happened to our our men. This is what's happened to our women in other places. Lord, this is what's happened to our children. Lord, we're struggling. We're suffering. And so uh, he's honest with the Lord. And, and we see this all throughout Scripture. Uh, the, the first uh, Bible verse I ever memorized after becoming a believer uh, was, was 1 Peter 5, 7. Uh, and it, it says, cast, it's a different translation, but uh, this says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. I, I, I memorized it as cast all your cares to the Lord, for he cares for you, Right? Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. The point is this. God wants you to be honest. He, he, he wants us to share what's really going on in our heart. And, and I think sometimes um, we, we might feel awkward about that. We, we might feel uncomfortable about that. I, um, I, I didn't grow up in church, and so I kind, kind of didn't have... The blessings of growing up in church, but also didn't have some of the trappings. And, and so when I started praying, I just, just thought it meant you just talk to God. 
And, and I can remember one time praying with someone who uh, wasn't used to praying that way. And I remember telling God that I thought the situation that I was in stunk and he should fix it. And when we were done, the, the guy I was praying with was like, yeah, I'm not sure if you're supposed to use the word stunk when you're talking to Jesus. And I'm like, oh, is it stanked? Like, is there like is it stank, stunk? Well, what's the word? And we got in this really great conversation. I'm like, well, here's the way I think of it. Like, the Lord knows I think it stinks anyway, so I might as well say it, right? Like, the Lord knows what's in my heart, so I may not, you know, I, I could come and say, Tither yonder, ponder, war, for out thy heavenly Father ints the skies with abundant love. Or I could just say, my heart's broke and it stinks. My heart's broke and it stinks. See, all the flowery prayer words won't conceal my heart. And I love the fact, don't miss this, God is not threatened by our honesty. God is not threatened by our honesty. In fact, God desires. Let me ask you this. If you haven't had this conversation with your kids yet, you will at at some point. And the conversation will say like this. We just want you to know we love you and you can tell us anything. We love you and you can tell us anything. And anything you say will never change how we feel about you. Now, does a kid need to hear that? Absolutely. How much more does does our Heavenly Father want us to know that we can share with Him anything and He still loves us and cares for us? I can vividly remember that night walking home from church and crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, I don't understand why this has happened and I, I just think it stinks. But Lord... We desperately need you. Uh, in, in, in difficult circumstances, we want to pray with an attitude of honesty. In fact, when you read through the book of Psalms, uh, David is brutally honest about his suffering, about his sin, about his enemies. It is a book of honesty, and it's refreshing. And so in the midst of difficult circumstances, we, we want to be honest with the Lord. I believe healing begins with acknowledging we're hurting. Healing begins by acknowledging we're hurting. Does that make sense? Uh, in other words, um, uh, all, all, the, all the cancer medicine in the world can't help you until you admit you have cancer or you have COVID or, or whatever it is, right? So we, uh, healing starts with admitting, God, we, we're hurting, we need help. And Jeremiah does that for us. Secondly, we see this, that in the midst of difficult circumstances, I should pray with an attitude of honesty, but I should also pray with an attitude of repentance. I should pray with, with honesty, but, but I, sh- I should also pray with repentance. And, and by the way, honesty and repentance go, go together, right? Like I'm honest about the, the pain I'm in, but I'm also honest about my part in my pain. Let me say that again. I'm honest about the pain, but I'm also honest about my part in the pain. And so uh, he says this uh, in, verse, uh, in verse 16. Uh, the crown has fallen from our head. And then he says, woe to us for we have sinned. For we have sinned. See, honesty is about sharing with the Lord how we feel about the circumstance. But watch this. 
Honesty is also about confessing and admitting that we might be part of our own problem. That we might be part of our own problem. He says, woe to who? He doesn't say, woe to the Philistines or woe to the Amalekites or woe to the Amorites. No, He says, woe to us for we have sinned. In this context, he says, we have been our own problem. We have been our own problem. And so this word sinned here in the Hebrew, uh, it, it means to, to miss the mark. It's, it's the word they would use for archery. So if, if, you're, you know, if you're aiming at a bullseye with an arrow and you miss it, right, that's the word here in Hebrew. And it means to miss the mark, and it means to bear the blame. In other words, um, everybody look there. You see the black circle on the cabinet? Let's say that's the bullseye. And I'm aiming at it, right? And I, and I shoot my arrow. I miss it. And then I can't blame anyone that I missed it except for me. Does that make sense? So I shoot the arrow and I miss. And then I go, well, Nikki, why'd you make me miss? Right? And Nikki's thinking, I, I was just sitting here watching you miss. I didn't do anything. Right? And then I try again and I miss. I'm like, well, way to go, Simon. From the back of the room, you put the voodoo on me and I missed, Right? Uh, now, listen, by the way, listen, we live in a culture where everyone does that. Where, where no one wants to own their own mistakes. It, 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 it's my mama's fault, the way she raised me. It, it, it's the neighborhood I grew up in. It, it's, it's because I don't have enough money. It, it's because I have low self-esteem. We live in a culture where no one wants to say, this one's on me. No one made me do it. No one forced me into it. It's not my mama's fault. It's not my dad's fault. I did it. We live in a culture where everyone wants to blame someone else for their own actions. And in Scripture, what we see is healing begins with honesty and healing begins with ownership. Healing begins with honesty and healing begins with ownership. Now, there are some things that happen in life that, that directly we do not bring on ourselves. Like, it's, it, they just happen, right? But, but can I say that I, w- I would confess that a lot of the mess that I often find myself in, myself in I, I probably was the one who made the mess. Does that make sense? Like, I, I, I'm probably the one who did it, and, uh, and now I'm trying to sort it out. And I don't know if you're like me, but oftentimes the more I try to sort my own problems out, the bigger my problems get. You ever found that to be true? Right? And so uh, uh, he says sin is to, the mark, to, to miss the mark, but to bear the blame. And in their context, they had left the Lord. Remember, they, they had left the Lord. They had embraced idolatry. And part of embracing idolatry involved child sacrifice. It involved allowing their wives and daughters to, to become prostitutes. I mean, they had totally destroyed their wives. They had literally killed their children. And now they were, they were reaping everything that they had sowed. The Bible says if we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption. If we sow to the spirit, we reap life. It's in Galatians. And so they had sown seed to the flesh, and now they were reaping corruption and destruction. But the word repentance here um, means, as I'm using it, to change one's mind for better. To change one's mind for better. 
It's to agree with God. It's to agree with God. Uh, Another thing that's very popular right now in our culture is redefining things that the Bible defines. And so it's not a sin, it's a lifestyle choice. I was in a conversation with someone recently uh, in the States, and we were uh, the state of New York. The state of New York on the same day, on the same day, uh, the way the American system works, a bill would come before the governor, and when the governor signs the bill, it becomes the law. And two bills came before Governor Cuomo, the governor of New York, at the same time, on the same day. He signed both of them. The first was to make it against the law to declaw kittens. So I don't know if you ever did that here, but in America at one time it was real popular to remove the claws from cats. So you keep them as indoor pets and they don't mess your furniture up. So he signed a bill making that against the law because that is cruel and should not be done to cats. Right? The second law, and literally the piece of paper about cats came to his desk. Reporter's there. He signs it, and everybody cheers for the cats. And he moves it. The next piece of paper comes, and the bill said that abortion in the state of New York is now legal to full-term nine months. Abortion to the point of birth. It literally means this. It means Christy goes, she's nine months pregnant. Christy goes into labor. We get in the car. We're riding to the hospital. And on the way to the hospital, Christy says, I've changed my mind. I don't want Kayla. I've, I've just changed my mind. Like, yeah, but, but we're on the way. It's, your water's broke. You're nine months pregnant. And we get there, and they, uh, they deliver the baby, and they, have, they can't fully deliver it because then it would be murder. And so New York, they deliver half of the baby is out of the mother, and then they kill it. So at the same time that we would sign a bill to protect kittens, we sign a bill that says you could do that to a baby. And in America, we call it a choice. God calls it murder. This isn't a sermon about abortion, but it is a sermon about how in our culture we will redefine things to somehow gloss over the fact that we are in full rebellion against a holy God and we will reap what we sow. And in this case, the nation of Israel did. But praise God, we can repent. And repentance means this. Repentance means we say, you know what, Lord? I changed my mind. And in fact, I agree with what you say. And Lord, if you call it uh, murder, I'll call it murder. If you call it stealing, I'll call it stealing. If you call it gossip, I'll call it gossip. If you call it greed, I'll call it greed. If you call it selfishness, I'll call it selfishness. I'm going to repent and I'm going to change my mind and I'm going to agree with you. And if you say that's what it is, then Lord, I'm going to agree. Even when I don't understand and even when I kind of don't like it, I'm going to agree. Because I know agreeing with you brings you glory and brings me joy. Agreeing with you will bring you glory and will inevitably bring me joy. Does that make sense, church? 
And so uh, when we pray, we want to pray with an attitude of honesty. We want to pray with an attitude of repentance that says, Lord, uh, I, I want to call this what you call it, and I want to believe it is what you say it is, even if I'm struggling with that, like, Lord, give me grace and help me do that. Third, we see this, that in the midst of difficult circumstances, I should pray with an attitude of worship. In the midst of heartache, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of doubt, I want to pray with an attitude of worship. And in Jeremiah, I love this, in in verse 19, it's like he's going along and he's praying and he's reminding the Lord of how horrible everything is. He confesses in sin. And then in verse 19, uh, he he just has like this, this blip of praise. And he says, you, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. I love that. It's like he's going through the prayer, and he's like, this is horrible, and this is horrible, and this is horrible. I'm being honest about it. And then he says, okay, but we repent. We we have sinned. Woe to us. And then he just has this blip of praise and says, but you, Lord, you reign forever, and your throne endures from generation to generation. And again, we see this in the book of Psalms. In the book of Psalms, we see uh, David will be honest with the Lord, and, and David will repent. Psalm 51 is, is the classic example, right? He's honest with the Lord, he repents, and then he just begins to praise the Lord. The Psalms are full of honesty, the Psalms are full of repentance, and the Psalms are full of praise. And David just begins to praise the Lord. Habakkuk chapter 3, uh, verses 17 and 18 says this, Um, And we've looked at this before in a a sermon. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Now, don't miss this. What would they use figs for? Food. So he says there's nothing to eat. He says uh, there are no grapes on the vines. That's what you would use to make wine. So there's nothing to eat. There's nothing to drink, right? He says, though the olive crop fails, they would take olive and make olive oil, and they would use that for lamps, for light. So he says, we have nothing to eat, we have nothing to drink, our power has been cut off. He says, the fields produce no food, we have nothing to eat. He says, there are no sheep in the pen, Uh, they would take wool and use for clothing, so don't miss this. He says, there's nothing to eat, there's nothing to drink. Uh, there's the power's been cut off. He says, uh, we have nothing to wear and no cattle in the stalls. That's what they would use for their crops. That's their tractor. There's no work. So this is pretty bad. This is getting like country music song level bad. Amen. Like this is a country music song. Like I got nothing to eat and she took the drink and you know, see what I just did there. So life is really bad. And look at what Habakkuk says, man, he says, yet. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Habakkuk says, I really don't see how things could get much worse. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to praise the Lord. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord, and I will be joyful in God, my Savior. He says, you know what? Life is hard. Life is bad. But I have a God who has saved me. And in the midst of my hardest, most difficult, challenging times, he is still worthy of praise, for he has saved me. He has saved me. You, you know, uh, the, the Bible says that, that, that a thousand years on earth is but one day in heaven. A thousand years on earth is but one day in heaven. 
And so, I mean, Jesus has only been gone two days if you keep time in heaven, right? And Peter says this. Peter says, look, you're going to go through trials and hardships. He says, but when you get to heaven, it will be a blip on the radar and it will all be worth it. And that's the spirit of what Habakkuk says here. He says, life is hard, but, but my rejoicing and my joy is not in my circumstances now, but it's in my future in heaven. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. And as the old gospel song says, we have a home in glory land that outshines the sun. In these difficult, challenging times, and in no way do I make light of them, but these hardships, when, when we spend our first five seconds in heaven with Jesus, our first five seconds in heaven, this will seem like it never happened. And we'll have all eternity to enjoy him and to enjoy the people of God. Amen, church? That is not to make light of our suffering, but it's to bring hope in our suffering. To bring hope and our suffering. And, and that's where we conclude. Number four, in the midst of difficult circumstances, uh, we want to pray with honesty. We want to pray with repentance. We want to worship the Lord. But then finally, in the midst of difficult circumstances, I want to pray with an attitude of hopefulness. I want to pray with an attitude of hopefulness. Uh, this, uh, this lament, Lamentations chapter 5, ends with a word of hope. And he says this in verse 21. He says, Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. Renew our days as of old. And that word restore there uh, in the Hebrew literally means to bring home. It means bring, I love that. When When I was reading that this past week, man, I just got excited. I was like, Lord, that's my hope. Because my hope is that one day you're bringing me home. One day you're bringing me home. And I don't mean Greenville, South Carolina, USA. And I definitely don't mean King Standing, Birmingham, England. Amen? That's right. Don't diss on King Standing. Right? But what I do mean is this, that one day I'm going to be home. Really home. Really home. And Revelation has already told me, the book of Revelation tells me a little bit about what my home is going to be like. It says I'll never be sick again. I'll never cry again. I'll never mourn again. There'll be no hospitals. There'll be no undertakers. It'll just be me and Jesus and all his saints. And that will be home. And when we pray, we want to remember God desires that we're honest. He desires we own our sin. He desires we worship him in the midst of difficult circumstances. But finally, he says, let's never forget that we're not home yet. We're not home yet. Heaven is our home. That's our destination. Um, uh, Jesus uh, says it this way. But the father said to his servants, this is the parable It's the parable of the wayward son, the prodigal son. It says, But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. 
Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and now he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then Jesus says, so they began to celebrate at a party. The Bible says when one sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices. All of heaven rejoices. Uh, Something I learned very interesting this week studying through this. Uh, The last verse of Lamentations chapter 5 says, Unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. And uh, remember, most of the Bible was not given to be read, but given to be heard. Right? And so everyone would not have had a copy of the book of Lamentations. But when you went to the synagogue... Right When you went and gathered at the synagogue with other Jews, someone would have read, the rabbi would have read the book of Lamentations, right? Well, the Jews, over the years, when they read Lamentations, started doing something. And what they started doing was, they started repeating verse 21 after verse 22. So, because when they ended just with verse 22, they found it too discouraging, And so, I love this, and so what the Jewish people would do when they would read Lamentations chapter 5, this is how they would read it. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return, renew our days of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return and renew our days of old. And then the rabbi would say, let's pray. I love that. They, they just wanted to end in hope. And you and I, of all people, have hope. And we have hope because the Lord Jesus came. He paid the price uh, of our sin. And he died on the cross for you and I. And three days later, he rose from the grave. And he who knew no sin became sin that you and I might become the righteousness of of God. We have hope. So let me encourage us in the midst of hardship, in the midst of challenges, in the midst of heartbreak and heartache, be honest with Jesus. He already knows. Honesty is the first step to healing. Let God know your struggle. He wants to talk to you about it. Ask God to search your heart and say, God, have, have maybe I brought any of this on myself? And, and if so, Lord, show that to me and, and help me to call it what you call it and help me to believe it is what you say it is. And, and Lord, I want, I want to turn away and I, I want to believe you. Uh, I, want, I want to encourage you to, to worship. It might just be in your prayer, just find one thing to be thankful for. And if that one thing is just heaven, then heaven is enough to be thankful for. But find one thing just to say, Lord, life stinks right now. But thank you, Jesus, that you love me. Lord, my heart is shattered right now. But thank you that heaven is my home. And then lastly, I would encourage you to be hopeful. We're just passing through. This world is not our home. And for those of us who know and love Jesus, the best is yet to come. I read a quote recently that said this. For those who live this life and do not know Jesus, 
This world is the closest to heaven they will ever come. To those of us who know and love Jesus, this world is the closest to hell that will ever come. When our hope is in Jesus, we have a hope that is sure and steady. If you don't know him today, if you're not sure that you know Jesus in a personal way, please see me before you leave. We'd love to share with you how you can know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Jesus, all of us have those experiences, those Beth moments, when our hearts are shattered to a million pieces. And Jesus, thank you that you are not simply a God who understands our hurt and understands our pain, but Jesus, you have experienced it. Jesus, when you found out that your mate Lazarus had died, you wept. It hurt your heart. Thank you that we have a God who understands. Jesus, I just pray that uh, for, for each of us, when we find ourselves in the seasons of hardship and struggle, I want to pray that um, you would turn our mourning into dancing. And that, Lord, you would be honored and blessed as you work in and through us. Bless us, we humbly pray in Jesus' name. Amen.